The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. Tigers coming off another uh, heartbreaker. Uh, Another game where they lose a big lead, 47-45 to ECU in double overtime. Quadruple overtime. Quadruple overtime. Excuse me, I'm I'm thinking about the the biggest play of the game, which was in double (laughs) overtime. Um, But they fall to 4-3 overall, 2-2 in conference. Um, with a road game at ranked number 25 Tulane this weekend. Um, the, the way they lost has uh, – it's not just that they lost. It's the way they lost in back-to-back weeks now uh, against Houston and ECU that have uh, – they've brought up a lot of questions, a lot of doubts uh, about Ryan Silverfield, about what you know what's ahead this season – with, you know, arguably the next two games are against the two teams that are atop the AAC right now, Tulane and UCF. So lots to dive into. Uh, We'll get you ready for the Tulane game. We'll break down the ECU game. Let's go to you, Evan. Um, What were your thoughts as you watched Memphis blow another lead uh, against ECU and ultimately lose that game? What, what, what I guess what to you was the part that um you think is the most I guess concerning aspect of it is it simply just they can't hold on to a lead that this keeps happening or is there something deeper or something more specific in your mind Is it wrong if I say that I wasn't surprised mm-hmm. just because when they got that lead I thought to myself they can't do this again can they and in the back mm-hmm. of my mind I'm like can they do this again not the sense that I wanted them to do it but it was more like would it happen again? And to have that feeling is probably the worst part is that if you're a Tigers fan and they get a lead, your first thought is, please hold the lead. Because right now mm-hmm. there's, there's lack of faith in them holding a lead um, where this is not the fourth time in the last two years they've blown a 17-point lead at least. Um, I just had the thought of this is happening again. And again, it was the same issues. You had the offense, which started so well, got quiet. They only had one touchdown after the second quarter. Um, you had the defense, which was playing without Quindell Johnson, get shredded across the field for maybe not a lot of big plays, but they got shredded for a lot of first downs and third down conversions. A lot of big third down conversions, yeah. Yeah, it was and, all. And it just felt like more guys running free than you'd seen in the past and seemed like a direct relation to their having some uh, personnel issues in the secondary because yeah. of injuries. I'll just put it out there. It looked like a seven on seven tournament, and Memphis was basically playing defense. Like it was a seven on seven tournament. Passes were flying around with ease from ECU. But what you saw was just, you know, the the athletes on ECU's side. You saw their running back Keaton Mitchell shaking defenders left and right. You mm-hmm. saw uh, ECU's receivers making plays without without problem. What concerned me is that for the for one of the first times you looked around and thought this this team looks more out more has better athletes than Memphis, which is very concerning in a way. So a whole lot to take away from this game, but again, the lead, ECU skill position advantage, and just the feeling of Memphis is now in a position where fans are dreading any lead as much as they're dreading playing from behind. Yeah, no, you, you worry about um, 
the residual effect of all this because this is now the fourth lead of 17 or more that they've lost uh, in the last two years. Um, they, they, they've, they've just they've had trouble holding leads, whether it's because of the demeanor of the team and the coaching staff. You know, when they get those leads, they take their foot off the gas pedal, so to speak, or if it's, you know, as you put it, you know, a da- you know, sort of the talent is not where it was previously. The reality is this is there's no there's no getting around it that this is a program that is nowhere near where it was just three years ago. But also, you know, that loss it felt like especially with what's coming up. And and it's not to say and like I don't think this is unsalvageable in the sense that if they go out and beat Tulane, they go out and beat UCF. Like that can change some things, you know. You get two those, you know. If you beat the two best teams in the league at the moment, you know, you can change this narrative that is forming. But I will say the narrative that is forming, particularly surrounding Ryan Silverfield in the wake of these blown leads, that narrative you don't see many coaches like ultimately convince a bunch of fans who feel the way some Memphis fans feel about him right now. It's really hard to like once they start feeling that way yeah. to get them going back right. the other way. I'm not right. saying it's impossible, right? But it's a really hard path. It's like saying, you know, like, well, you know, if we just climb Mount Kilimanjaro, <laughs> like, like that's you know, simple. like that's and, simple. like it's doable. Plenty of people have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but it's also just like kind of you know it's a hard task. A lot, like, a lot of people have died climbing Mount Kilimanjaro too. Let's <laughs> like, be fair, and so. <laughs> And but like he can fix it because like ultimately like when we were sitting in here and I predicted an eight and four record this uh-huh. year. When I mapped it out, I said, okay, they're going to be four and one going in the Houston game. Yep. Uh, let's chalk up the Houston game as a loss because they're the preseason favorite, and then they'll split these two road games against DCU and Tulane. Now this is before we knew Tulane was like a good a six right. and one Tulane. Right. Um. But like so they're technically like kind of right where I said I thought they would be. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, the way they got there, you can look at it two ways. It's like really discouraging in the sense of they that loss to Houston was inexplicable. And ultimately, you had a ton of chances to win the ECU game. And yes. you couldn't do either. And you blew a 17 nothing lead and you blew a 19-point lead in the, fourth quarter. in the fourth quarter. And really just blew a lead in like 13 – in like in – like Four minutes, really, in that Houston game, too. I know there was the kickoff return as well. Eight minutes, if you include that. But you could also look at it as, like, for large chunks of the Houston game, for three-fourths of it, really for three-and-a-half quarters, quarters, looked really good against Houston. And then even against ECU, you know— they that going out to that seventeen point lead, they look great. They looked good to start. They look great, but, and then you know they put together like a really clutch drive to send it to overtime offensively. Um, so you had and you were a, you were essentially three yards away from getting a win. Ultimately, in double overtime, we right? referenced it earlier. We might as well get into it now because that was the play that had everyone sort of really that really. You know, there were a couple of differences. There was the catch that probably wasn't a catch that never got reviewed officially. On, th- on third down on what was ECU's go-ahead drive? Yeah, on third and two in in ECU territory. So they likely punt yes. if that play is called an incomplete pass. And Memphis gets the ball with a chance to, to take the lead late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So there was that. 
And in the moment, you're like, you know, why didn't Silverfield call a timeout? It, it seems like the refs screwed that. It seems like if you, you can put it on Silverfield if you want for not calling a timeout there and not, like, you know, throwing more of a fit. But it sounds like from his explanation, they basically told him we, the, our replay official looked at it and, you know, you're, you're going to be wasting your time. Right. He, he declared it a catch. He right. said it was a catch already. Right. So it sounds – and it wasn't very clearly from the highlights. But it sounds like it was it, – that was on the replay official and that officiating crew yeah. screwed that up. Big mistake. Big mistake. But double overtime, Memphis <laughs> has – everyone has to go for two at this point, both teams. ECU right. doesn't get its two-point conversion. Right. Memphis scores and has the two-point conversion – Calls a zone read that results in a inside handoff to Asa Martin. Asa Martin gets stopped for no gain. Um, a lot, a lot of people, including me, like I, I, I wanted that game decided by Seth Hennigan. That's how I look at it. I know it was an RPO, and so like ultimately, technically, it was Seth's decision to hand off the ball because it was an RPO. The way I phrased it in my com, I wanted an HPO there. I wanted a Hennigan pass only. That was good, by the way. It should okay. be noted. That was good. Um, that's what I wanted there. I wanted the game decided by Seth Hennigan. And, you know, he had just saved your butt with a great – I mean, like, that that game-ending drive was a fantastic two-minute drive that great. he led. And considering how, how much the, the Memphis offense had stalled at that point, it was pretty big. It's great fresh. catch by Joe Skates on that drive. Kobe, that, I think Kobe Drake Kobe, had a great play the, on that. Kobe Drake. Yeah, Skates was in overtime. I believe, Skate, right? No, Skates caught the touchdown. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Skates yeah, yeah. caught the touchdown. Yeah, Skates and Kobe Drake. You had guys stepping up, and you had, I mean, like I said, I thought Hennigan was fantastic. Yes. And then you took the ball out of his hands, and I just thought it was a bad play call. And subsequently, like Ryan Silverfield called it an excellent play call. Tim Cramsey, the offensive coordinator, has, you know, said, like, you know, basically, like, you know, y- you know. If it had worked, you would call it a good play call, and maybe he's right. (laughs) Maybe he's right about that. But in the moment, my thought is, and now my thought was, is like I would have liked to see that. I would have liked to see Hennigan throwing the ball, and you could have won the game. Um, I feel like you had a better chance of winning the game right then and there. You had one play to go win it, and I guess that's you know, and and when you add that onto like a controversial play onto like just the general. You know, like kind of meh feeling about around the program right, right now, right. and the blown leads part of it. Like, it all creates an environment now where, you know, it at the very least, like it's a you know, it's a fan base. You have a fan base that is very um, disgruntled right now. That's a good disgruntled. Is fair, you know, like fair. and some people calling for Silverfield's job. Like I've heard from a lot of them, um, and you know, I don't think. Any of this warrants a midseason firing, but I do think like, hey, like these last five games of the year here feel uh, feel like they could be program changing, both in term like it feels like to me, if all things are equal, he should be coaching for his job right now. Like you know, you you know, ultimately we said like you wanted to see progress this season, and as of right now. You cannot say this program is progressing in the right direction. Here's the question I would ask, and this is what people have to ask themselves. If you're looking at Memphis right now, what is Memphis doing better than it did last year outside of field goals and punting? Like you could say, okay, Chris Howard is perfect 14 to 14 for field goals, most mm-hmm. in the nation right now, I believe, for, yes. for perfection. Joe Doyle is a top five punter in net average all year. But what 
has Memphis done well that has improved? Oh, from, I think the defense has been, in general, better, t- like pretty good. Takeaway-wise, yes. I would say they're improving with takeaways. But, but I think if you look at it, I think they've – like they played pretty well for long str- – like I, I think the secondary is a mess right now. But I think the defense, by and large, has played – like if you go compare it to other teams now, it's an interesting dynamic in that – I bet their numbers are better than previous Memphis defenses, but I also bet you the number of plays Memphis is getting off these days is like the pace of the game is different. Mm. If it makes sense, like they're not playing super hurry up right. like they used to. Right? And it does, you know, like so. I wonder what yards per play is compared to p- previous years. But I, I think in general, oh, do you have that stat? I actually do have that stat. Mm. Um, as of right now, we are we you know we're looking at this Memphis total offense. Yards per play for Memphis for defense. Oh, for de- oh for defense. Yeah, I'm talking defensive. Oh, defensively. Oh, I thought you were talking about. I thought we were about to. Look yeah, at offensively, this. it's very clear they're not as good. Yeah, I thought we were looking um, at that. And that's why you don't notice the improved defense. I think as much sure. because they're having to play even better. You know, much better than those previous defenses did because sure. the offense isn't putting up points. So, so we'll do this stat real quick to just compare. So Memphis is giving up 5.7 yards per play this season. This is again, uh, which look, is kind of a lot. Their see, past defense is a mess. Right. Well, this is overall. We'll, we'll get to the overall. But I think you're. I think you're probably right, though, that ultimately you can't say it's better necessarily. Um, okay, so let's just bring that up. So 5.7 yards per play this year. Last year, 5.42. Oh boy. 2020. 5.68. Let's go to 2017, which was a rough defense. 5.75. So they're, they're basically yeah, – now that 2017 defense led the country in takeaways. Yes. And yes. so, um, yeah. No, they've been getting diminishing returns and, the, you know, they play yeah. 12 guys. They're down to like 12th guy in the secondary. They play 12 guys, yeah. Now, to um, be fair, again, it's the 5.7 is kind of, you know, it's not, be- it's not great, but all the other numbers we've seen here are like within that 5.4, 5, 5.3, 5, 5, yeah. 5.6 range. No, it's, so it's, I mean, the passing defense is one of the worst pass In terms of yards given up per game, it is one of the worst passing defenses in the country again. Yes. Um, no, I think it's actually a good point. Like – that when you look at the three phases of the game, they are better in special teams, really because of Howard more than anything. Like Howard and Doyle. Let's be fair. Let's get no, but Doyle was good last year as a yes. punter. Yes. You know, like he was good last year as a yes. punter. Yeah, he might be slightly better. The real difference is you actually have a reliable f- kicker. Yes. Um, and then yeah, offense it feels like you know worse, and defense it feels like you know maybe the same, but it wasn't great. It wasn't starting from a great starting point. Right. Um. That's it's troubling. It's it it's why like I think it's totally fair um, that Silverfield's feeling heat right now. Like that's just it, you know. And now the question is, you know, is there anything holding back the university? He's owed like about three and a half million dollars. That's what's at that's what's in play here in terms of a buyout. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if there's anything outside. You know, do they have that money? I would assume. If they're trying to get 150 million dollars for the Liber- for Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, like if you can't get three and a half million to make the right to have the right coach, and I'm not saying they should fire Ryan necessarily, but like to me, like if you don't think he's the right coach, three and a half million dollars should not be the thing that stops you from making a change ultimately. And you know, I, I you know, you keep having games like this. Like the ECU game, like the Houston game, you know, it's going to become real clear real quick. Yeah, I think like you wrote this week, I mean, if they keep doing this, it's hard to imagine 
what will happen at the end of the season. I think it's yeah. clear what will happen. So that's why I think this Tulane game is going to be really important because if you look at the calendar, you might say, hey, this might be an interesting game, but this Tulane team is going to be a real challenge for a lot of reasons we're going to probably discuss in just a bit here. Yeah, you. I mean, you win this game. You know, If you lose this game, you're going into your open week with – like really sour feelings, a three-game losing streak, but also like you're going into one of your biggest home games against UCF with, like, I, how's the fan base going to feel? How what's what type of what type of crowd are you going to have? Because I really think more than wins and losses, like there are three home games left, and I think that is going to play a big role in part of like your how you feel about the program and the direction it's going. If you know, because like. That North Alabama game looms really large from a, man, if, like, you don't have the right record there, like, it's already going to be a bad crowd because it's North Alabama. But, like, if you don't have the right record there, like, that's optics that, you know, supersedes wins and losses maybe. And that's the last game of the season, if everyone should know that. Last home Home game. game. Last home game. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, if you can go out and, you know, you've got Tulane, UCF, and SMU and Tulsa, if you can go three and one in those four, well, that's an eight and four season. And, you know, like, is it the team that played for three and a half quarters against Houston could do that, I think. But, you know, saying that's the only version of the team there is, is, you know, fool's right. You, you look at it. When it's not <laughs> the, 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 the last half of the fourth quarter happened. The ECU collapse right, happened. Right. So that's part of their DNA too. It's like two things. You can say, well, you're three points away from being six and one, or you can say you're two fourth, you're two collapses away from being six and one. I mean, I don't know how you want to put it, but like you are what you are at this point. And you point. almost, you know, it wasn't like you were great with the lead against Arkansas State, you know? Right. Like, you almost yeah. lost that. You were squirrels in the first half against them. Like, yeah. the team is, it's been this roller coaster right now when they're, they're where they are right now. It's, yeah. Yeah. They are what their, their record says they are. So it'll be interesting. This Tulane game, they haven't won at Tulane in a while. Last two, two visits, they didn't win. Um, Let's talk to – who'd you speak to from Tulane? Gary Smith, the uh, Tulane beat writer for NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. All right, let's hear from him. Gary, how you doing? Doing really well. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you for joining us today. So um, Tulane, 6-1. and one. They've obviously been one of the – not just surprises of the AAC, maybe one of the surprise teams in the country. Um, what's kind of been really – the what's the mood down in New Orleans surrounding this team right now? Yeah. Obviously, excitement. Tulane ranked 25th, first time been in any ranking since the perfect season in 1998. That's 24 years ago. I think there were only three programs, <laughs> one of them being New Mexico State. That's the company you don't want to keep um, that have been that have gone longer without being ranked than Tulane. Um, it, 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 it's huge for the program. It's funny. They haven't had the big turnout yet at a game for various reasons, but I think we're going to see that on Saturday. It's homecoming for starters and and just got in in the top 25. I, I think I, I think the fans are finally going to start turning out to, to recognize how good this team has been so far this year. Yeah, no, we know Tulane's always had, you know, that stadium's had mm-hmm. trouble getting folks there. But I think I, I'm curious with, with it being homecoming and with them being ranked, like like kind of like you said, do you think that's going to kind of make a, a nice turnout for people to come see what this what this team is buzzing about? I do. And it, it was kind of, it was it was frustrating to Willie Fritz and the whole team because Tulane had a huge win against Kansas State, which is probably the best win in, in his tenure. It wasn't just that they won. It was how they won. They were pretty much the better team in that game and beat Kansas State at Kansas State's own game. 
they came and played Southern Miss. Southern Miss actually brought a lot of fans, but um, it was a decent crowd, not a huge one, but a pretty good one. And Tulane laid an egg. <laughs> it was the one one loss Tulane's had this year. And you heard so much, oh, same old Tulane. This is what Tulane always does when it has a chance to break through. That wasn't the case, obviously. Tulane had then went on the road and beat Houston in overtime with a third string quarterback, um, ha ha has kept winning. So I think this time you're really going to see a big turnout. Definitely. And, and speaking of Tulane, I think the one stat that that stands out, and I know Ryan Tillfield here uh, brought it up, the defense. Um, mm -hmm. I watched that Tulane ECU game, and I was impressed by just how well they were flying mm -hmm. the ball defensively. What's been kind of behind this defense that I believe is ranked very highly in the nation in scoring few, defense and passing defense? A few things. One of the things, this is one of the best tackling teams I've ever seen. And that's, uh, uh, Willie Fritz talks about tackling is a lost art at every level of college football. I think Memphis fans can, can relate to that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Watching some of the plays in this Tulane team. Um, they played their worst game of the year against South Florida defensively, but South Florida, their quarter, they forget their record. They're not a good team, but they have a great quarterback. And, and, and Bohannon was really giving Tulane problems until he got injured. But until that game, Tulane just wasn't missing tackles. And when they did miss tackles, they were rallying to the ball so much that there were no big plays. Tulane had given up fewer plays of 30 yards or more than any other team in the country before East, before USF hit them with a few uh, on Saturday. That's one factor, just an excellent tackling team. The other thing is experience. Look, Tulane went 2-10 and 10 last year. The defense had a horrible ranking. It actually fixed itself in the last five games. For the first seven games last year, it was just abjectly awful. But a lot of that had to do with Hurricane Ida that forced the displacement for a month. That was chaos and in, in for a lot of different reasons in, 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 Bur in, in Birmingham. So you can kind of throw out that season. But tons of seniors, tons of guys who've been playing a lot. Um, th their secondary has four, has uh, three senior starters who are fifth year seniors who either who've started for at least three years. One of them is Lummy Young, a transfer from Duke. Um, and then the other factor is Tulane just had it hit a huge in the transfer portal this year. They've never been this successful as they have been this year. Lummy Young, their free safety from Duke, um, he, he was huge. But the most important player of all their transfer portal guys, Patrick Jenkins, he was a New Orleans big time recruit who went to TCU, played a pretty good amount there, decided to come back to New Orleans. And he's just been an absolutely terrific player at defensive tackle. And one of the reasons Tulane's run defense has been so good is because of his his presence. You got to be strong up the middle, and, and Tulane's just really strong up, up the middle throughout that that entire defense. And uh, and so those are the key factors. But yeah, this defense is for real. Um, they don't really have any senior NFL type prospects because their two best players, their linebackers, Nick Anderson and Dorian Williams, are a little smallish for for the NFL. But they're absolutely terrific college players and, and those two also they have a ton of experience they've been starting for three years now so it's just a really experienced defense and everything seems to have coalesced this year for those guys definitely and I, and I think what makes it interesting is when you talk about the AAC we always you know we've been around a little bit you're so used to the offenses dominating obviously Cincinnati yeah. last year and the year before had a great defense but this Tulane defense it sounds like they've really kind of taken their game to another level which is kind of Interesting because Tulane's offense, Memphis fans might remember, they yeah. kind of did a number on them last year. And if you could, uh, Gary, just uh, Ty J. Spears, I remember him last year. Memphis allowed a bajillion yards to him. Yeah. How is he looking? How is Michael Pratt, the quarterback? And uh, 
Tell us about these receivers because I know uh, Deuce Watts is a name or Fat Watts, is it, right? I, I really, I really, it's Deuce Watts. That his his brother, his twin brother, had a season-ending injury, but Deuce Watts is the guy that, that, that's playing right now. But uh, I really think Ty J Spears is one of the best running backs in the country. What happened to him is two years ago against Southern Miss, he suffered a horrific ACL injury. There are there ACL injuries, and then they're the ACL injury that he suffered, mm-hmm. and it was really he almost. He says he almost quit coming back. It, it was so tough. So last year, the first half of the year, he just didn't believe in his in his body. And he had a really slow start. He had a couple hundred yard games. And then in the Memphis game, the final game of the regular season, he really turned it loose. Memphis is still trying to tackle him unsuccessfully <laughs> from that game. This year, he's been a little up and down. He had a huge game against Houston when they needed him. He caught the winning touchdown in overtime. Kansas State, they almost used him as a decoy in that game. I don't think his body was totally right in in, in that game. Um, But then South Florida, it's a tie game in the third quarter. Nervous time for for, for Tulane. He touches the ball, 75-yard touchdown on the next play, and then Tulane never looked back. He's just a terrific player. He's got the whole package. He's a good receiver. He can run inside. He can run outside. He's got good moves. The only question with him is, game to game is he going to feel a hundred percent and I, I think based on how he played against Memphis last year I think he'll be ready Saturday definitely, and, definitely. And the quarterback then Michael Pratt at quarterback he had a slow start this year kind of up and down um missed the Houston game with a shoulder injury since then he's had his career high in passing two straight games and this is the best he's ever played he kind of cost Tulane the game last year he was not healthy at all going into that Memphis game he threw a couple of interceptions he was he was basically fried mentally and physically by the end of the season last year with all the hits he'd taken um when when you get the that balance with Ty J Spears running and the and the passing game um it's it's a it's a dangerous offense and they've definitely played their best football in the last two weeks on on offense Definitely. It, is, it sounds like this Tulane team, from what Memphis has said, they respect them. They're obviously very, very balanced. And I think it's going to be a fun matchup in New Orleans where Memphis has kind of struggled yeah. the last two times being there. So it should be a really interesting game. And Gary, I look forward to seeing you out of the Florida Seamus Tulane team. So thank you very much for uh, chatting with us today. Thanks for having me on. It should be an issue. This will be a little different because the last Tulane's a big favorite this year. That's a different role for Tulane uh, uh, against Memphis. And yeah. I did a lot of media three years ago when Tulane came up to Memphis and uh, I picked Tulane to win that game. A lot of people picked Tulane to win that game. And then the game started <laughs> and, and, and Tulane was so out athleted. That was a, that was a different level Memphis team in terms of the skill position players. I realized about 10 minutes into that game that no, that wasn't going to happen. I think it's a different story now, but it, it really will be interesting to see how Tulane handles being ranked for the first time and being a touchdown favorite against the team that they're almost never a favorite against. If I recall, that was 2019. Memphis had just mm-hmm. come off a yep. loss to Temple. Yep. It was a charged atmosphere pregame. I remember the fans were excited. And I had yeah. a feeling like Tulane's not going to know what hits them. And then that was the game where Kenny came I believe, had the 100 yards receiving yeah. and 100 yards rushing in the same game. So, yeah, that was that's what the Memphis fans remember a lot. So it should be interesting in, in, in New Orleans this week. We're looking forward to it again. Gary, thank you so much for uh, talking with us and look forward to this game Saturday. So am I. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks again to Gary Smith uh, from NOLA.com and the uh, New Orleans Times Picayune for that preview of Tulane. Evan, your thoughts on uh, Tulane, a ranked Tulane team, um, and and what the uh, Tigers uh, need to overcome when they go to New Orleans this weekend. Yeah, I think the first thing you talk about is just this defense. I think Gary was pretty clear. This defense is the backbone of this team. They are – 
top 10 right now, or excuse me, top 11 in scoring. They're 11th in scoring defense in the country. They're 10th in passing defense. And as Gary said, I mean, this is a defense that is very sure, very good tackling, experienced, a lot of vets on this team. Um, I watched them against ECU, and they held ECU in check for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that USF game a little bit before Memphis. It was a game where USF got some some uh, some great plays against them with their athletic quarterback, but Tulane was able to hold them off. So this defense, it, it's crazy to say, but this might be one of the better defenses that um, Memphis is facing. So the key is going to be, can the passing game, which, is worked, which looked so good against ECU, can they find ways to break free? Because, you know, I was there in 2018 when that offense, Memphis' offense just went bizarrely cold. And in 2020, Tulane just punched them in the mouth in a game that was very emotional for them because I believe their OC, Will Hall, who's the coach of Memphis, was about to go to Southern Miss. So that was an emotional game for them. So this Tulane team defensively is going to be a very tough team. And it's their homecoming game. So they're mm-hmm. ranked. It's homecoming. Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting atmosphere for this Memphis team to go into. Yeah, no, and they're, you know, they have a dual threat quarterback. I don't think Memphis has really played a true dual threat. I guess the Navy game sort of, but that's Clayton Tune in some ways, but Yeah, not but now really. he's he's more of a like run when he needs to yes. type of guy. This is more of a true dual threat situation. Um and uh, you know, you hopefully you have Quindell Johnson healthy. Yes. Hopefully, Brand, you know Brandon Thomas didn't play in this last game. Hopefully, he's healthy. Um, I know there's a couple other injuries they got. Wardell's Ducksworth, I believe, is day to day as well. Doug, one of their best D linemen was hurt in that game, so the personnel could play a role in, in this as well. I will say, six and one Tulane just doesn't sound right. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. And, and I will say, like as as down as it may feel because of that, these last two losses. Like I will say, my 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 history with the AAC suggests, like, you know, teams, not just Memphis, but teams in general, win and lose at very odd times in this league. Like, yeah. like for instance, Tulane at six and one, like, kind of feels ripe for like a loss ultimately. And maybe maybe that maybe I'm wrong here, but like, you know, number two, I don't know. I, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is like Sean when Sean King was the quarterback. That's what they're um, feeling. This is their best start since 98. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you this, Mark. This is interesting for them. Tulane, they're 6-1 right now. Now, their schedule is going to get tough at the back end. They got yeah. UCF at home. They go to they got SMU, and then they got Cincinnati. I would be so – I'm st- I know they're 6-125. If you had to ask me right now who's going to be in the AAC championship game, I would not say Tulane. Still today. It's hard to say right now. It's hard to say. Like, we'll see what this UCF team looks like when we get closer to that game. But I, they look, I, they look like maybe the best team in the league. <sighs> we'll get to that in two weeks. Who, buddy? <laughs> I watched, I watched that game against uh, uh, South. Was it who Temple? Who they put up seventy? Temple. On? Oh God, Temple. I watched. Yeah. That was that was almost an R-rated game. I don't know why ESPN aired that without like some parental advisory stickers. Yeah. It was brutal. All right. Well, Evan will be down in New Orleans chronicling the action. Uh, against two, when Memphis takes on Tulane's uh, 2.30 kickoff on ESPN2. Um, Tigers looking to snap this two-game skid, go into the open week uh, with a 5-3 and three record and an above 500 record in the league. We shall see. We'll have tons of coverage at CommercialAppeal.com in the lead-up to the game and in the aftermath. Make sure you're reading it. Till next time, I was Mark. That was Evan. Uh, Hopefully, maybe some of you will get to enjoy some uh, New Orleans etouffee this weekend. See you on Bourbon Street. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.